Today we're going to turn our attention to some teaching from Jesus that is oftentimes uh, misconstrued a little bit, that's oftentimes hard to understand. Jesus says in the book of Matthew chapter 1, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. ask that you take this teaching of Jesus and burn it on our hearts and burn it on our minds. We ask you to take this teaching and give us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. I need a volunteer. Whoever can get up here to the stage first. I need a volunteer this morning. Who's willing to be bold? Well, no, you don't. <laughs> Ruin the whole illustration thing. thing. I need a volunteer. All right, come on up. We're going to break into my daughter's Easter candy a little bit this morning. Thing, 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 thing. I just thought we could have some M&Ms together. Yeah, that's good. Go ahead, dig in. Tasty? Great. Not bad for like... 6.30 the night at Lewis of Easter to buy the cheapest when they go right on sale. <laughs> Who's eating the M&M's correctly this morning? Adrian or myself? Who's eating them right? Adrian or I? <laughs> go spread the love. I just, I don't want to hear them rolling around during the sermon. Think. How dare some of you say that my way of eating M&M's is wrong? I mean, when you get M&M's, don't you just get a handful and go at it? I was informed that the proper way of eating M&M's is to put them in your hand and then grab them and take them like this. I had no idea that was the right way. Thing. Hey, only give them a couple over there. Thing. Thing. But how bold of you to say that your way is the right way on eating M&M's. And how dare you talk to me about my way of eating M&M's. Now, I think I can assume this morning that you would agree with me that we've got a lot more problems, greater problems than eating M&M's. But I don't like being attacked on the way I eat M&M's. And I'm sure you've had similar thought patterns in your own life when someone has talked to you about a certain behavior. Did you have a thought pattern that went something like, well, what makes your way the right way? Did you have a thought pattern that went something like, how dare you tell me what to do? Or maybe you were preparing to tell someone what they were doing is wrong. Did something come in your mind that said, well, who am I to talk to them about their M&M habits? Or maybe it came into your mind, are they going to respond that I'm judgmental if I talk to them about the way they eat their M&Ms? Somebody needs to get me a glass of water. <laughs> Host, can I? I'm serious. I need some water. Thing, thing. Or honey, thank you. Thing, 
thing. I can't eat M&Ms again during this sermon. That doesn't work. Thing. Thing. Anyhow, this thought pattern, which I'm sure you've all had on either the receiving end or the preparation of the giving end, is very common for all of us, and it's a challenge that we face. The basic challenge or the basic question for us is this. Should we judge the behavior of others, and if so, how? In other words, should I go and talk to someone about the way they eat their M&Ms? How should I go and talk to them? Should I go and talk to someone about the way they're spending money? And if so, how? Should I go and talk to someone about the way that they treated me in that meeting the other night? If so, how? This is water. I assume Mountain Dew, though. (laughs) This was not planned, I promise. Should I approach someone else and ask them if what they're doing is wrong? We're constantly faced with this dilemma if we should approach other people and how we should approach them. And if other people approach us, should we allow them to approach us? Today we tackle the world's favorite Bible verse. Even people that hate Jesus love Matthew 7, verse 1. Everybody loves the verse, do not judge. Well, what does Jesus mean by do not judge? Does that mean just let everybody do what they want? What's Jesus getting at in Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount? The primary message of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 is not judgment. The primary message is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the primary problem, not judging others. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is continuing the Sermon on the Mount where he's kind of had the following formula, where he said, hey, this is the way it happens in the world, and this is the way it kind of happens with the religious community, and here's the result of it. And then he always kind of finishes by saying, but not so with you. So in Matthew chapter 7, he's saying, the way it's normally done is that you start talking to other people about their behavior, but you haven't examined your own heart regarding the same behavior. So in other words, you're talking to someone who has a problem with anger, but you're expressing anger at them continually. So Jesus is pointing out how in the world we fall into this dangerous cycle where what? We constantly point out the faults of others without examining our own heart and our own mind for our own faults. And then Jesus is saying, you hypocrite. You're willing to point out the fault of another, but not your own? Jesus is not saying, hey, don't point out the fault of the other. He's saying, first, examine your own heart. Because we've got a problem in our own hearts and our own minds. We love to find the problem of another before we like to examine our own problems. One of my professors in seminary who was on the mission field for a variety of years in a variety of different countries always would share different proverbs. Man, this chocolate, I'm serious, this is a problem. It's like melting in my, I don't know what's going on. The missionary would travel in different places around the world And he'd get different proverbs from these tribal groups. And one of the proverbs that he shared that really stuck out to me and he said was just banging true of talking about us as humans is the following. Chimpanzees laugh at each other's tail. 
In other words, they're laughing at their friend's tale, forgetting that they themselves have a tale. How foolish! How foolish to laugh at something which you yourself have as a part of you. Did you exactly what Jesus is saying here today? He's saying, hey, how foolish to go and point out the fault of another without taking care of your fault first. So the very first thing that Jesus would have us do, the takeaway that Jesus would have us do if we were serious, is examine our own hearts, minds, attitudes, and actions. For we are all responsible to King Jesus. So this is the very first thing that Jesus would have us do. In Matthew 7, 5, he says, First, go and take the log out of your eye. That word first is critical. Because what does it mean when first is said? There's a second. There's more to come. If there wasn't more to come, you wouldn't say first. You would just say, take the log out of your own eye. But Jesus has a greater plan. You see, the pathway of Jesus is different than the world. The world says, take care of yourself to each their own. Jesus says, examine your own heart and your own mind, and then go and help others. That's what it says there. It says, after you take out your own log, it says, and then you can see clearly the speck in your brother's eye. So the whole goal is what? Healing for ourselves and our neighbors. The issue is not being judgmental. The issue is being hypocritical. Jesus would have us examine our own lives so that we can go out and help other people examine their own lives and we can pursue health together. Well, this is not popular thing. This is, this is not going to go over well. Thing. Because it doesn't even go over well in our own hearts. It doesn't even go over well in our own homes, in our own churches. This doesn't go over well. So, so how can we live out this teaching of Jesus? There's a couple of things that I just want to share with you this morning about how can we live out this teaching of Jesus, of confronting one another. How should we approach one another? First, privately. How should we approach one another? The very first thing we should do is go to that person alone. If I know a person has got something in their life that's dishonoring to God, harmful to themselves, harmful to others, the first thing I should do is go to them privately. But not just go to them privately, but also keep it privately. We're going to go there this morning to the sin that never gets talked about in the church, the G word. Gossip. Right? And the church has got statements all over the place. The church publishes statements about money, publishes statements about sex, publishes statements about what's right to believe. I don't know if I've ever seen a statement published on gossip. But yet, it's against the will of God that we would talk about another without talking to that person. If we're going to fulfill the teaching of Jesus of approaching others, the place that it begins is from a heart of integrity. If I'm willing to talk about someone's behavior, I better be willing to talk to that someone directly about their behavior. This morning, all of us would do well to put the prayer request trick in the closet. We've all been there before, right? I have a prayer request today. My friend, 
my friend is really struggling with X or Y. Can we pray for my friend? How about this approach? I'm going to pray for my friend privately, and then I'm going to go privately and, and talk with my friend. Because I'm not going to talk about them to their detriment. What happens when we talk about other people? Why do we enjoy talking about the behavior of other people? Because it puts us in a position of superiority. When's the last time you're talking about the behavior of someone else and you yourself are going, man, I'm a horrible person. Normally you're talking about the behavior of someone else and what are you saying? Can you believe that about Sally and Francisca and Franklin, that they would do that? You're elevating self as you're talking about the behavior of another. If we want to be people who are bringing healing to our own lives and bringing healing to the lives of those around us, we have to learn privacy. Privacy doesn't mean keeping things from others. Privacy means sharing what is appropriate with the appropriate parties. The very first thing that we need to do when confronting one another is keep it private. Go and talk to them directly. And then we enter into the next phase of bringing others along with us if necessary. But let's just focus on getting the private part right first, that we're willing to keep it between the two of us. Think of the benefits that could happen to your life and the lives of those around us if we stopped talking about other people in ways we wouldn't talk directly to them. Those people would be seen in better light by our friends. People would have more of a God view of people where they would see them created in the image of God rather than just horrible people that are weird doing different stuff. We would do well to keep it private and to approach in privacy as well. And as we approach in privacy, the second thing, and I would contend the most challenging thing, is we need to remove assumptions. What I mean by that is this. Don't go in assuming you know why the person is doing what they're doing. There could be something that's going on in life that's, that's pushing them in this direction. That doesn't justify the behavior if it's sinful. But it does put you in a better position to what? Help heal them. Because what's the end goal? Is the end goal for you to be able to leave and say, whew, I told them how wrong they were? Or is the end goal for you and them to have clear vision together? The log and the speck are both gone. Removing assumptions helps put us in a position of wanting to help rather than coming in from a position of above or superiority. So just go in to the conversation. Try as best as we can to remove those assumptions so what? We can see the person as one who's loved by God. We can see the person as one who's created in the image of God. Not an evil creature that we just want to correct. Approach in privacy, remove assumptions, and then the third one, really the act of confrontation is all about asking questions. Again, because I would contend the following is unhelpful. You are a fool the way you eat M&Ms. And this, you are going to be punished greatly for the way you eat M&Ms. Okay, thanks. Am I going to keep eating M&Ms the same way? Absolutely. What am I going to do when they say that? I'm just going to get defensive. Well, you drink water weird. Right? So if I just come in with a statement, rather than coming in, asking questions, trying to understand the person, it provides an avenue for conversation. 
Any confrontation should most likely follow the following model. 90% question, 10% statement. A statement does have to be made. That what's happening is against the revealed will of God. But outside of that, making it known, because that's our job, make known God's revealed will found in the scriptures. Outside of that, our job then is to help the other person heal. Help understand the other person so you can help them move from point A to point B. Ask questions so you can understand. And then finally, present and don't push. In other words, our job is to share the message of Jesus, but we cannot correct a heart or change a heart to reflect the image of Jesus. Now, this is hard because a lot of us don't like the responses that we get. And then with the responses that we get, what happens? We, get, we feel guilty ourselves. Oh, they're not changing. We can't control if they'll change. All we can control is that we presented truth from Jesus in a loving way. You know, a lot of our life can be compared to the life of a farmer. What's a farmer's job? Put seed in the ground, cultivate, pull some weeds, and then harvest. But ultimately, a farmer has very little control. A farmer can have brand new equipment. A farmer can do everything on the exact right schedule. A farmer can buy the newest and the most scientific seed. But yet at the end of the day, what does it come down to? Rain and sun. It all comes down to that. Rain and sun. In our life as followers of Jesus, we're like farmers. All we can do is proclaim truth from God's word and seek to be faithful to God ourselves. And the results are in God's hands. Because only the Holy Spirit can change a heart. Only the Holy Spirit can take God's word and bring conviction that's going to bring a changed heart. When we push, what happens is this. We change a momentary circumstance, but we harden a heart for a longer period of time. You see, when we push, what does a person do? Especially if they're close. Okay, you're right, just leave me alone, I'll, I'll do it. But then what ends up happening? They just return to the same old, same old. You got them for a moment. And maybe you were right, congratulations. But guess what? They're still walking around with sawdust in their eye. How should we approach? We should approach in privacy, seek to remove assumptions, ask questions, present, and do not push. Have you noticed that anytime the conversation turns to behavior, we turn the conversation to someone else's behavior? When someone approaches you about behavior, what's your first place you go to? Well, so-and-so does it this way. I mean, I don't have very many bad habits. I won't even classify this as a bad habit. I don't have very many odd habits. Thing. But one of the odd habits that I've been told that I have is I leave lights on around the house. And I don't know why, because I'm a cheap guy. I like saving money on electricity. Our dad hounded us when we were kids to shut the lights off. But for some reason, I still leave the lights on around the house. And every once in a while, my loving and caring wife will gently remind me, hey, are you going back down to the basement? Well, of course I'm going back to the basement. I mean, sometime I'm going to go back down to the basement thing. But normally, where does my mind go? Well, who left the cereal box on the kitchen table? I mean, how foolish. 
Who leaves the cereal box sitting out when there's a cabinet right there to put it in? What just happened? We started talking about my behavior, but hurry up and shift the conversation to what? Someone else's behavior. This is what we all do. And this is what the people are going to do that we talk with. Because when we shift the focus, we can put ourselves in better light. We can make ourselves better than we actually are. And so this morning, it actually begins with our own hearts. That we would ourselves allow people to talk to us about our behavior. I had a seminary professor that said something really wise one time when he was talking about church conflict. He basically said, hey, at any time in the church, no matter how good of a pastor you are, no matter what you're doing, you're going to have 20%, 30% of the people that are just not going to be happy, that are going to be constantly criticizing you, stuff to say, da-da-da-da. The seminary professor said, you know what? Don't defend. Don't fight against it. Simply ask the following question. Does the shoe fit? Does the shoe fit? That doesn't mean the criticism is right, but maybe there's an element in there that I can learn from. The same is true in your life today. Someone may approach you about something that's not true, but you can still ask yourself the question, does the shoe fit at all? And it puts us in a position of what? Humility. Of examining our own heart first before we begin, begin to examine the heart of another person. So very clearly, we need to ask ourselves, does the shoe fit? This issue of judgment comes down to a, a really difficult question that we have to ask ourselves that, that's rather deep, and uh, we're going to dig into this just a little bit. If you're preparing to go and confront someone, you have to ask, am I judging an issue of the conscience or a non-negotiable command of God? Am I judging an issue of conscience or a non-negotiable command of God? There's a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 14 that is complicated, that we don't totally understand. It's, it's rather long. I'm just going to read a portion of this passage of Scripture. And as you hear this Scripture passage, you may actually hear it saying the opposite of what I'm saying about confronting other people. Romans 14 says, One person esteems one day as a better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Stop right there for a moment. There's a common thought process that exists in the world today and also exists in the church, and it goes something like this. To each their own. To each their own. Basically, let each person live their own way, do their own thing. It fits right in with Matthew chapter 7 and this whole issue of don't judge me. We've, I've heard this even phrase in the church. I've heard Christians say, well, whatever's best for them. Okay, right here in God's word, God clearly says it's not to each their own. It's to each belong to God. We're not going to someday get to the judgment seat and God is going to say, well, Give account of yourself to yourself. No, give account of yourself to God. It's not to each their own, it's to each belong to God. 
So we continue on in Romans 14. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or what you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So we got two issues here. One is, it clearly is proclaimed that all of us give account to God. That it's God's standard, not our own. But at the same time, you could read this passage and you could say, well, pastor, it just says right there, don't judge one another. And you're giving us coaching on how to go out and judge one another. Here's the issue. The Apostle Paul is talking about issues of the conscience. He's talking about the issue of food, specifically here in Romans chapter 14, where the people had now received freedom in Christ, that things that had previously been kind of, kind of off-touch were now free for people to participate in. And some people were struggling like, well, can I really participate in this? So it was causing them to think that when they were eating, they were actually dishonoring God. And God's word is saying here, hey, you know what? If you have a person like that that's struggling and not fully there yet, just let them live in that. That's fine. Just also then come alongside of them and you yourself not eat of it as well. Why? For their benefit. So it's an issue of, of conscience. There's not clarity from God's word of what you can exactly eat and not eat. So a modern day issue for us maybe would be the issue of alcohol. Right? I mean, some of you are like, Alcohol. What's the problem with alcohol thing? Right? Alcohol in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with it. Go home tonight, I'll have, have a drink. Nothing wrong with that at all. However, for some, alcohol is a serious issue. It's a challenge. I mean, I think we can all acknowledge that alcohol is costing all of us millions of dollars every single year in taxpayer subsidies. Not only that, but alcohol is ruining lives every year, everywhere. So alcohol is a problem. But in and of itself, it's not wrong. So what that comes into play here is this. I shouldn't judge someone that says, you know what, I'm going to refrain from alcohol. We shouldn't walk around going, oh, goody two-shoe Christian, going to refrain from alcohol. Or I also, if I hold that position, shouldn't walk around and say, geez, sinners just partaking in alcohol. Absolutely not. The question is, how's my conscience in the matter? If alcohol is a challenge for me, then I've got to set it aside. But not only that, but alcohol is a challenge for someone else. What God's word is saying here is this, I need to refrain from it myself for their benefit. So I'm not going to say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. What I'm going to do is this. Hey, I'm going to refrain from it to try and put you in a position to succeed. So when we approach someone about correcting their behavior, we have to ask, is this a matter of conscience or is this a matter of a non-negotiable command of God? Here's the challenge this morning. 
We've spent most of our lives as church judging over matters of the conscience. Telling people they are less of people because of what they wear or what they drink or where they live. And what happens when we do that? We lose the opportunity to actually proclaim judgment on the main issues. If we'd set aside the peripheral for a little while, we might be able to gain a little bit of honor back that we have a voice and an opportunity to talk about the main thing. Now, that doesn't mean the main thing is going to be an easy conversation. It's not. We're at least coming with less baggage, less walls to have to break down. I plan on going home tonight and continuing to eat M&M's the exact same way. And I don't expect anyone to correct that behavior. But I also plan on going home tonight and continuing to struggle with certain things. Anger, lust, lies. But I expect someone to confront me on those. Jesus does not ask us to go out into the world and say, Phew, just let them do whatever they want. Jesus asks us to examine our own hearts so that we can go out into the world healthy and approach our neighbors and say, how can we help you? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Today, it's not don't worry about what your neighbor is doing. Today is, yeah, worry about what your neighbor is doing. But with the same intensity, worry about your own heart as well. There is a prayer I found this last week from a Christian counselor that I read a lot of stuff from. And I thought he put it really well. I thought we could make this our prayer this morning and encourage you to make this your prayer throughout this next week. It simply just says, help me to judge others as I want them to judge me. Charitably, not critically. Privately, not publicly. Gently, not harshly. In humility, not with pride. Very practical. Very simple. Maybe all of us can make that our prayer this next week and ask that God would work on our hearts. Let's pray that together this morning. Lord, help me to judge others as I want them to judge me, charitably, not critically, privately, not publicly, gently, not harshly, in humility, not with pride. In Jesus' name, amen.